My name is Christopher Peter. Welcome to the Christopher Peter Review. The Christopher Peter Review provides original content discussing salient current events in our political environment, business community, global world, domestic society, and sports and entertainment. In each of the five segments, the focus will always be to center on facts, evidence, and data. The Christopher Peter Podcast is my lead segment that discusses our business community, investing in financial markets, and ideas for growth. The CRC Conversation, another key segment, discusses our public policy and happenings in our political environment. The CRC World discusses global current events that impact us here at home. The CRC Society discusses social issues and topics with a focus on improving our quality of life. Last but not least, CRC Sports will talk about sports, which is one of my favorite subject matters. Please visit www.crcreview.com weekly to experience these five podcast segments that make up the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome to the CRC Conversation on the Christopher Peter Review, where we discuss leading current events impacting our economy, public policy, and society. In this conversation, we are going to discuss the debt ceiling debate, taxation, and our government spending culture that at some point needs to be addressed. Let us start with the debt ceiling debate. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen projects that the United States will reach its debt ceiling on or around June 1st. This is when the executive branch of the federal government will not be able to authorize any financing activity to cover outgoing expenditures not covered by tax or other government revenue. The raising of the debt ceiling is a financial tool meant to expand the available credit. It is similar to the point where a person reaches the limit of their credit cards and needs to increase their credit limits or access to credit to meet their financial obligations. The credit limit is not considered new spending. Although it is impacted by spending bills. If a person was spending within their means, they would not require increases in their credit limits. I will start you off with a softball and ask the obvious question of whether we should increase our debt ceiling or simply watch and see how the Treasury determines what to pay, which would prove disastrous to the global economy. Yes, the answer is quite obvious because we for one are only a mere weeks before the Treasury runs out of funds to cover our expenses. The federal government cannot afford to let the debt ceiling go unresolved. Our economy and financial system is built on a system of trust. Financing is offered on the principle that the recipient is true to their word and that they have a proven track record of making such payments. It is easier to secure a credit when one has shown that they have made similar payments in the past. And the United States has always honored our financial obligations. There would be a ripple effect within our economy and throughout the global economy, as many nations invest in our debt tools and currency. That trust cannot be broken over political disagreements. I think we all would be more comforted if we knew our leaders did not wait until the last possible moment to address the issue. The Republicans have passed a bill that Democrats deem dead on arrival and Joe Biden is slow to lead any real conversations. So much bad has happened on Biden's watch. Americans saw fellow citizens left behind by this president. Experienced countless economic setbacks because of poor economic policy? Does he really want an American default to be on his record as well? Both Democrats and Republicans like to add strings to proposed legislation. Not exclusive to one side or the other. Obviously in this debt ceiling debate, Republicans are going to add measurables they deem appropriate to address spending that they feel is an important economic issue to address. In contrast, Democrats want a bill that will raise the debt ceiling. A bill without any attachments. Or at the very least want spending to be addressed on separate legislation. Should Republicans agree to pass a clean bill and not address the issues that led to the need to increase our debt limit? 
There are some conservatives who feel that Republicans threw away the opportunity to have a substantial debate on spending when Republicans in the prior Congress agreed to extend the budget. So it seems like the missed opportunity they experienced with the budget debate being pulled from under them will occur on the debt ceiling bill. We do need to have a real national debate on our national debt and our spending habits. Determine are we spending in the right areas? Are we investing in our future prosperity or our future fiscal decline? The level of government spending not only necessitated a need to raise the debt ceiling but also fueled inflation to the degree that the Federal Reserve had to increase interest rates. The only real meaningful action the federal government ever succeeded in addressing spending was by accident with sequestration. Remember that where every area of the federal budget was cut and limited. I think it is reasonable to believe that we cannot cut our way out of fiscal issues at this point. But we are not in position to tax our way out of it either. The debt payments are growing largest over the last four presidencies and we need to find a solution that protects our financial reputations, economic growth potential, and ability to responsibly raise funds. There are some on the left of center who want to get rid of the debt ceiling. The left does not want debate so they simply want to get rid of credit limits. They do not understand that there is a rational need to have structural caps in place to protect our economic system from the political interests of the people in power. Consequences of poorly managed debts is a real thing. Look at the nations in South America who are seeing their people illegally migrating inside our borders. The economic hardship eventually leads to political violence and societal deterioration. Should America eliminate the debt ceiling? There has been legislation proposed to remove the debt ceiling and allow the Treasury Secretary to authorize debt as he or she sees fit. I am not sure that this would be the wisest move and does not align with our Constitution, which authorizes Congress to be the branch of government tasked with the power of the purse. Allowing the Treasury Secretary to authorize debt circumvents that tradition, which could be dangerous. Consider the potential for the Treasury Secretary to circumvent Congress and the need for appropriations by authorizing debt to fund programs the people do not want or need. The people advancing this notion do so for a political ideal to remove barriers that protect the American taxpayers to some degree. The same voices who said bipartisanship was a bad idea and now we have a divided government unable to compromise or negotiate. Regardless of what party controls the White House, the appropriations and structure of our finances should be set by Congress as the Constitution intends it to be. The debt ceiling debate and any discussion on spending will undoubtedly lead to a push for higher tax rates. Democrats who want to appear as the party considered about the cost of living in America or the financial burden faced by the average American have never met a tax they did not support. The areas of society with the highest cost of living are run by Democrats and those who wear progressivism as a badge of honor. And one might falsely believe that these areas are the best places to live, raise families, work, and play. Many of these areas are experiencing higher than normal crime rates, underperforming education systems, negative quality of life, and economic stagnancy and decline. In the challenging economic climate we are experiencing, should any person support the notion that our taxes should be raised? We already saw that there is an appetite for raising taxes on Americans, based on what appears to be Biden's budget agenda to reverse some of the cost savings afforded under the Trump tax cuts. The idea that a tax increase can be limited to people earning above $400,000 is not economic reality when considering the spending it is intended to offset. There are many people who are hard supporters of tax cutting or tax increases. There are times when taxes need to be cut to stimulate the economy and other times when taxes can be reasonably increased to prevent a hot economy. In our current situation, I do not believe this is the time to raise the cost of living for a population that experienced prolonged record inflation. Taxes are an increase in the cost of living and can be even more harmful to the household. 
Finally, I just want us to discuss the idea of government greed. When companies simply raise prices to meet their revenue targets, improve returns, or experience profits, they are labeled as greedy. While Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street articulated a case for the benefits of greed, most people are not happy to see acts of greed. If you have not seen the movie Wall Street, I encourage you to take a moment and watch it. But, why should we not feel the same angst when the federal or state governments want to increase taxes to fund their political agendas, much of which is not popular with the general public? First off, Wall Street is a great movie. Michael Douglas played Gordon Gecko, who argued that greed is good because when everyone acts in their own self-interest, everyone is better off. For people who have not read economic literature on the importance of self-interests in an economy, this notion that greed can be good is outside the norm. But in reality, people already act with their best interests in mind. That is not disagreeable. Doing so in a manner where people are harmed through manipulation or dishonesty, that is where the line is crossed. In a market free of fraud or corruption, then greed or the pursuit of one's self-interest can be tolerable. I am shocked when I hear people accept the radical notions that tax increases are good because it is not logical. There are times where tax increases can be appropriate, as in the case I mentioned about a hot economy. But lowering the take-home pay for millions of Americans is not good economic policy when society is in desperate need of economic growth. This is not the time for raising the cost of living. And doing so is government greed. I thank you all for experiencing this edition of the CRC Conversation. Make sure to come back next week to experience more here on the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome back to the Christopher Peter Podcast, the lead segment of the Christopher Peter Review. The focus will continue to be on discussing salient current events and topics in the business and industry environment. I recently listened to a podcast that focuses on entrepreneurship. The host interviews many business owners and startup leaders, many of which provide interesting points of view or insights on how they grew their brands and different avenues they took. During one of the discussions, the host spoke about how he developed a mindset of taking 100% accountability in his life. Regardless of what caused an issue or who should fairly receive blame, he would accept full responsibility for the event. Because he wanted to push himself to always go down that rabbit hole of what could he have done better or different. Therefore, he would be able to provide better service to customers or end users, better engagements with coworkers, better leadership for subordinates, and better organizational outcomes. I firmly believe that the mindset of accepting responsibility for your outcomes and life path is important. People do not find success simply because of luck. Usually it is a combination of preparing yourself for an opportunity and identifying the opportunity when it arises. There really is no luck involved for the most part or the type of luck that you should really consider in any meaningful planning exercise. You cannot count on there not being a traffic cop on the street you may decide to speed through. But you can guarantee that you will not get a ticket if you follow the speed limit and driving regulations regardless of whether there is a traffic cop or not. You cannot guarantee that you will win the lottery. But you can decide to make less risky bets in investing into assets that afford you a better manageable chance of achieving wealth creation and growth. The point is that we can appreciate situations where we feel like we experience luck. But that should not be the rule of thumb. Rather we should embrace the responsibility for our outcomes and understand it as our choices, attitudes, and behaviors that have the greatest impact in the areas of life that we find important. I know that there will be people who will say what about the events in life that we cannot control. We do not have a choice in whether a company eliminates our positions because of a business line being discontinued. We do not generally choose the bad stuff that happens in our lives. We do not choose to be impacted by natural disasters. And I agree with you to a degree but there always is a choice in life. We just do not always see it until it passes us by.
Should we know that hurricanes or mudslides could impact our properties because historical records show that it does more frequently in certain areas than others? Should we know that our division is not performing up to expectations and we might be better off seeking a transfer or new role sooner than later? If we had that mindset of accepting 100% accountability, maybe we would understand the need to not only try to influence the areas we have control over, but ones that have a direct or indirect impact on our outcomes. For instance, if you work for that underperforming division, maybe it is a good idea to speak with leadership about the performance, volunteer to contribute to its turnaround, or position yourself as a valued member of the organization that should be retained even if the decision to end operations is made. The idea of being 100% accountable appears to me to help drive a self-reliant attitude, where you are proactive rather than reactive. Each and every day, people can do the right thing and still get the wrong results. You can show up to work on time, do exactly what they tell you to do, and still not get the satisfaction or outcomes that you deserve and earned. Sometimes, accepting the personal responsibility to ensure that the end goals are met or going beyond just the minimum expectations can pay off in the long run. Many times, we experience terms like self-reliance or personal responsibility in the realm of political discussions. People use these ideas in discussing poverty. How much of the plight of poverty is the responsibility of the person or society? In politics, that is not really a mutually exclusive topic. Some feel that people should pull up their bootstraps and earn their keep. Others feel like there are societal issues that cause poverty. In reality, it is a bit of both. But people who are personally responsible and seek to be self-reliant will tend to have a better chance at avoiding poverty than those who deflect responsibility outward. If you believe that other people should have a greater concern over your future, well-being, and quality of life, then you might have to consider that these individuals have their own needs, wants, and concerns that they want to address. Obviously your needs will come second to their own. In past editions of this podcast segment, we talked about mindset and perspectives because it is important. It is important to be able to identify opportunities for yourself and not wait until someone shows you the way. There is always a first mover advantage in life. Consider the times when you may have an office pizza day that you are unaware of. By the time someone else tells you about it, do you think the choice set will be as large as it would be if you found out earlier? Of course not. That kind individual who wanted to make sure you did not miss out also probably secured their slices before telling you. Nothing wrong with that. First mover advantage. It is important to try to maximize each opportunity and increase your quality of life. Even with all the preparation in life, you cannot predict the future. So it is best to make the most of a good situation to bolster the ability to survive potential future bad situations. There are no guaranteed tomorrows or ritos of yesterday. Make the most of today. Sounds cliche. But it is really important. So how does one become more self-reliant? More personally responsible? I believe it begins with the mindset. When we are young we always want more freedom than our parents are willing to afford us. We realize in the long run something that we do not realize in the moment. That the ability to demonstrate that we can make the right choices, show the right behaviors, and exemplify the right attitudes can help us gain that freedom we so desire. In a workplace environment, you will probably find more opportunities for growth if you are accountable for the results of your work. Showing your leadership that you stand behind the ideas that you suggest and will accept the consequences is a powerful display and can help calm doubts. Because a person who understands that their future relies on the outcome of a project or event will go above and beyond and will do their due diligence. Part of doing your due diligence is accepting the responsibility to check with every area that impacts your project to increase their successful completion to ensure your successful completion. Other areas may not be your job, but it impacts your job. So it might help to ensure they are able to help you to achieve your end goals. We are never free if someone else is paying our bills, making decisions for us, or thinking on our behalf. 
we are reliant on that other party, which could leverage that against us in the long haul. So we must position ourselves in the best possible situation to be free of those strings of external power. We may have heard our parents tell us that we need a job to have a say in the affairs that impact us. Instead of pursuing the unwinnable argument, a personally responsible person might decide to get a job, cover their own expenses, and earn a bit of agency over their life choices. Now, you do not have to be a teenager to understand that the less reliant the better. The less you rely on credit to cover your monthly expenses, the better access to credit you will have. The more people see that you are accountable, the more trust they will have in your word and your ability to follow through. You cannot count on luck to ensure. You can count on your own abilities, ambitions, work ethic, and willingness to grow to ensure that you achieve what you want to achieve. I really think accountability, responsibility, and self-reliance are intertwined. Concepts pulled from the world of politics but applied to life. Set aside the political aspects and simply consider how these principles can help you better advance your personal agenda of better outcomes. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review at www.crcreview.com. I thank you in advance for your viewership and look forward to our next discussion. Welcome to the CRC Society. In this edition, I am going to look back at a point of view we provided in our past blog that I think is important. My name is Adriana Lee and I am truly happy to be a contributor to the Christopher Peter channel on the Christopher Peter Review. I provide a different perspective than many in our group. America cannot just wish away our problems, simply pray for a solution, or sweep them under a rug. Additionally, hope by itself is not good public policy. Many of our national problems require decisive strategic action made by the people empowered in either the local, state, or federal government. Decisiveness and quickness are not one and the same. In fact, many rushed, impulsive, or knee-jerk reactionary policies can cause more harm than good. Consider the policy response to the case with the response to controversial events like the George Floyd murder and other cases where there were police-involved deaths. These events triggered strong emotions. Rightfully so. The image and complete lack of compassion shown by Derek Chauvin was utterly disgusting. Like every other issue in our society, emotional responses lead to hysteria and actions taken that are completely unacceptable and condemnable. The challenge for leaders in moments of great hysteria is to be able to lower the temperature and speak to the truth without advancing the mob mentality. And to speak to real solutions to the underlying issues. The idea that police officers, who clearly violate the law and go above and beyond what anyone can deem reasonable force given the circumstances, should be held accountable is one that is not partisan or really controversial. In every profession, there are people that do harm to others purposefully or at the very least negligent and need to be removed. Not an earth-shattering concept. Where the overreaction occurred was when policymakers sought to embrace the anger and hysteria for political purposes and enact demands to defund police without really understanding options less extreme. Setting aside the emotions of the situations, the data clearly shows that law enforcement is a net positive for their communities. While these events are extremely tragic for the families involved, statistics show that incidents during arrests are rare and fatal incidents are even rarer. Common sense tells us the answer might reside with punishing bad behavior rather than removing a needed deterrent. Reality tells us that not every area in our society is safe and free of crime. Some places have more criminal activity than others depending on socioeconomic factors. A key deterrent is a noticeable police presence and patrolling of communities to make the criminal element think twice or thrice before committing an act.
Not surprising that when the fear of getting caught in the act or brought to justice swiftly is removed that crime increases. Not just petty crimes, but violent crimes, including murder. A person is less likely to drive through a stop sign or red light when a police officer is in the area than when the coast is clear. Now, most people have the moral character to not do crime or simply want to avoid the penalties associated with criminal acts. Some simply do not and will commit crime regardless. But, the potential for swift justice is important. Let us consider the fact that it is America's Liberal Party that traditionally favors spending more on problematic areas. Money is treated as the cure to all our ills in their mindset. One would think it would be the Democrats who call for increased funding and for programs that reduce bias, increase accountability, and establish independent reviews. Instead, Democrats at all levels embrace the defund the police mantra and many communities suffered. Many more victims of crime than ever should be. Americans task our elected representatives to help fix our social problems. Sometimes the help is not helping. My name is Adriana and please come back for more content from the entire team and myself. My name is Christopher Peter. I am the political economist behind the Christopher Peter Review. I wanted to do a special episode before the official launch of this new podcast series. As you may have known from my blog, I am a big sports fan. Die-hard supporter of the Philadelphia Eagles, Phillies, Sixers, Flyers, and Union. Absolutely love my Philly sports teams. Philly fans have been spoiled, and a bit cursed at the same time. Our Phillies made a surprised run to the World Series but came up short. I was just hoping they would finally end the playoff drought. So, the pennant was all gravy. Our Eagles outperformed preseason expectations to run through the NFC before losing a heartbreaker to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Sixers look good as the NBA seasons draw towards the postseason. It would be an awfully cruel fate if we did make it to the finals and not win it. The Flyers made it clear early that this was not our year. They left no bones about it. But they are going through changes and hopefully rebuild back into that consistent organization that used to be a perennial participant in the playoffs. But now we turn our attention to the start of the 2023 baseball season that is officially underway. Baseball is traditionally viewed as America's pastime. It is the sport many of us grew up playing in little league, high school, or other leagues. I remember playing center field emulating my favorite Phillies player Lenny Dykstra, except I used chewing gum not tobacco. It is in our collective DNA as American sports fans. Major League Baseball is America's oldest professional sports league. Unfortunately, baseball has failed to connect with key demographics as it is now the professional sports league with the oldest audience by far. Americans have changed their preference in sports to football. The NFL has been the league that has best managed tradition with innovation. Keeping generations of fans and adding new ones at the same time. It is a marketing machine. But I do believe that baseball can have a resurgence and can recapture the summer love that us diehards continue to have with a sport that has taught us so many important lessons. For a while baseball was the most conservatively managed sport in America. Baseball fans care greatly about tradition, the hallowed records, and the historic nature of the ballparks that host the games. Greatness is achieved statistically with greatness over time, not through a YouTube highlight reel. While many other sports make quick knee-jerk reactions hoping to catch the fleeting attention of an overstimulated sports market, baseball has been cautious in its approach. But I think the recent changes implemented by Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, along with his leadership team, will enable our beloved league to recapture its magic and appeal and bring new fans back to the game. The first change I think that we can all agree on was a resounding success is the increased number of wildcard teams. Last year, 
the Phillies made the playoffs in that final wildcard spot, reaching the World Series from a postseason berth that would not have been available if not for the change. Baseball has the most games played compared to any other sports league. Traditionally, baseball teams have the most difficult path towards the postseason, based solely on spots available versus teams in play. For the NFL, your favorite team had almost a 38% chance of making the postseason prior to last season. Now, with its own expanded wildcard team, fans can now experience a greater than 40% chance of seeing their team in the playoffs. Now, basketball has a two-third chance of making some form of postseason play, factoring in the play-in tournament. Hockey, you have over a 50% chance of reaching the postseason. Before the increased wild cards, your favorite team had a just 27% chance of making the postseason, when there were the original three division winners and one wildcard team. Now, it still has the most difficult path, but closer aligned to the other leagues with the probability at 40%. Of course, there are factors that can change these probabilities, but even on a completely level field, your favorite team used to have a long shot chance at reaching the World Series. Now, baseball teams can keep their fan bases engaged beyond the summer and into the fall because most teams have a realistic shot and stay in contention if they can overcome a period of poor play. In the past, many fans knew by the middle of May that their favorite team would be selling their favorite player at the end of July. Now there are less teams willing to part with stars because they may still have a mathematical chance of reaching the postseason. Despite coming up short, baseball fans should realize that your team just needs a shot. Maybe the continued play as they navigate the wildcard round will afford them the ability to stay locked in and make the fall classic, while the rested teams come out rusty or disengaged. The rules that were implemented this year I believe will further help garner interest with peripheral fans or casual fans. The rules to speed up the game with a pitch clock and the requirement for the batter to pay attention to the game will help maintain the flow of the game and may make the game more focused on athleticism and instinct than execution of an analytically devised game plan. Analytics is always a benefit, but fans do not want to watch what essentially becomes a computer-simulated game. The ban on the shift is a blessing as well. Even when you attend games, it was pretty annoying that the defense would completely line up with where the batter's tendencies are. Even in football, which is highly analytical, there is a required balance in formations. Now we will see players really show they can play defense and track batted balls. And the pace of play will be one that allows the games to fit in that traditional window of three hours max for a sports event. I think baseball will have a better product and more convenient experience for the fans. There is really nothing like going to a baseball game, especially during the week. I love going to Citizens Bank Park for Dollar Dog Night. An experience that I hope to soon restart. I hope that you take time and see what baseball has to offer. It is truly a great game. Another event that I felt was very interesting in the sports market was the merger between the top real combat sports company and the leading sports entertainment company, announced on the Monday morning after WrestleMania. I believe this is a great situation for both brands, which have the great potential to take advantage of a large amount of synergy between their respective fan bases. If you are a fan of combat sports, you probably should find wrestling interesting as well. Many sports fans at one point were fans of wrestling at one point in their lives. Who did like watching Hulk Hogan hulk up and wrestle Andre the Giant, the Macho Man, or other greats? Stone Cold Steve Austin changed the sport and gave it the edge that it needed to show that wrestling was not only for children. There are those who will say wrestling is scripted versus the real action in mixed martial arts, which I do not deny. But both offer great levels of storytelling leading up to their events. Long before fighters enter the octagon, there are many passionate storylines that may lead you to connect to one corner or the other building that anticipation and anxiety to see who prevails in these matchups. Especially in some fights where statistically you may feel there is a clear projected winner that was inevitable from the start. 
but the storylines and build-up make the upsets so much more entertaining than once could ever imagine. Fans of MMA love to see the journey of their favorite starts, drawing interests in content like the Ultimate Fighter or the Contender Series. The UFC does a fantastic job of creating matchups that people want to see and giving the audience what it deserves. There is no organization that is able to create spectacles like World Wrestling Entertainment, better known as WWE. Although it is scripted, the leading professional wrestling promotions create events, storylines, and build-ups that draw the audience in. Even in an environment with social media and other avenues for fans to get a closer look at the happenings of their favorite superstars, the entertainment giant always finds new ways of connecting with a diverse global audience and still leaves them in awe. Interesting to see the emotions fans have for scripted matches. For instance, the reaction to the outcomes of Roman Reigns vs. Cody Rhodes. While you may understand that you are watching what really is a live performance, you cannot help but react when the script does not go along with your internal script. I think wrestling fans have storyline outcomes that they want to see come to fruition so they are drawn in to be proven right. But appreciate the unexpected at times. The best path forward for both brands is to have some level of separation and brand management, which is the path forward. CEO Ari Emanuel already put out that both brands will maintain their independence to operate with autonomy. But we can all imagine the many crossover opportunities. MMA fighters can gain notoriety by doing a run-in wrestling during their break in action. We should look forward to what this new 21 billion plus valued combined entity has in the future. Only time will tell whether all the hopes that many of us have for this apparently unstoppable entity will actually realize their potential. I think they will. Now, I thank you for experiencing this special episode. Next Monday, on April 10th, please join me once again for another episode of the Christopher Peter podcast, here on the CRC channel. Also, please experience my new podcast episode on the Christopher Peter Review, where I lead a discussion on the importance of real solutions to solve our real societal problems. Please continue to visit the CRC channel for more featured content from Christopher Peter Review and the Christopher Peter Podcast. Thank you and until next time. Welcome to the CRC World Discussion, where we discuss salient global current events. The coronation of King Charles III took place this past weekend. A historical transition following the longest reign by his mother the late Queen Elizabeth II. For many of us, this is the first time we saw a change in the British monarchy in our lifetime. The late Queen Elizabeth ruled for so long that many of us were born into her reign. And only read about the previous rule of monarchs of yesteryear. Here in America, people still have a strong interest in the ongoings of the British royal family. I believe there will always be that fascination as the connection with the United Kingdom of Great Britain, our closest global ally, continues to grow strong and our histories are intertwined. Although the power is largely symbolic in an era of global democracy, the British monarchy still fascinates the world with its deep history, its rule over the greatest empire since the Romans. Even in our entertainment, Americans obsess over shows that feature monarch rule, which directly counters our representative democratic principles. Consider that to the core of who we are as Americans is the idea that we can overcome great odds because that is exactly what we did during our founding. A set of 13 colonies was able to declare and win its independence from the British Empire, which enjoyed having the strongest military force in the world for a considerable time in history. Then America sustained its sovereignty a few decades later. Despite the history steeped in conflict, there is still that mutual appreciation, especially with the partnership that continues to preserve freedom the world over. The British royal family still maintains global interest although it no longer exercises the political power it once did in the past. In the current political system, the British Parliament is the centre of the government, although there are still some symbolic but important engagement with the monarch. I think part of the persistent interest is because it is different from what we are used to seeing in America. 
We have political families in America, like the Kennedys or the Bushes. But Americans still have to elect them to the offices they intend to seek. We do not typically watch them from childhood to adulthood, projecting how they would preside over society. What transcends societies or allows others to relate with the royal family is the family drama. The abdication of the throne to pursue a divorcee. Drama with infidelity or family relationships. These are all something that people can relate to on a human level. People can relate to challenging issues with children and their disruptive spouses. People and families are imperfect. Those with celebrity or high-profile positions have more eyes on and scrutiny examining their perceived flaws. In other global news, the United States terminated the connection Russian malware used to steal data from the United States and NATO. This comes a month or so after we saw a member of our own military steal documents and share secrets. The connection was reportedly used for quite some time. This raises some questions of whether America has an effective cybersecurity strategy and does it need to rethink our approach. We have current and former presidents leaving documents at their homes. Non-presidents having access to confidential documents outside of confidential areas. So, there may need to be a different approach in what is classified, who has access, where it can be stored or viewed, and other protocols. I think we also need to consider are we doing enough to deter cybercrimes in general? There is an effort to make companies more proactive. But are we holding wrongdoers accountable? An effort to thwart attacks from a strategic law enforcement approach? Seems like this is a problem that needs greater attention and focus. We cannot have our enemies being able to steal data, disrupt our economic activities, or impact our society and allies. Or exposing the needed but uncomfortable aspects of our government. Are nations like Russia, China, and others going to continue to do this and only see resistance two decades later? Naturally, there will be efforts made that are not disclosed nor should be. But it does not seem like we are doing enough in a collective and comprehensive matter. I thank you for experiencing this episode of the Christopher Peter Review. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review at www.crcreview.com.